Well, good morning, everybody. I, um, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little embarrassed. I saw Hans Eric rolling in in the exact same outfit, and uh, it felt like junior high prom all over again. Um, anyway, like you said, my name is Ben. Uh, I'm an associate pastor up in Marin County, and I'm super honored and glad to be with you. Um, I have an eight-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter, and uh, they um, have been the best and worst thing that's ever happened to me. I don't know if you can identify or relate to that. And uh, I was talking with Zach, and Zach just said um, his son, John, was just born a couple weeks ago. And so, John, you're going to be able to relate to this for sure. But if you've ever held a little baby, especially a brand new baby, you know that new baby smell? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like they, it's so good. It's better than new car smell. I, if you've never held a new baby, it's like, um, I just think it's, it's intoxicating. My, uh, a woman who works with me at our church, she just had a baby three months ago, and I just swoop up her little baby Felicity, and I hold her, and I smell her, and she is just so precious and so beautiful. And I have to get a lot of that smell now, because my son, he's eight, and he's become a mouth breather. And, um, and so, you know, I come in, and I in the, tuck him in at night, or I wake him up in the morning, and, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that he was this little precious baby, and now I go, and I climb in bed with him, and I'm like, oh, you know, go brush your teeth, kid, and then let's keep hanging out. And because uh, he's eight, he's a boy, he sweats, he's smelly. Um, but a new baby, even when they poop the little yellow poop, it's like perfect. It's so, you know what I'm saying? It's perfect. And I think God made it that way. I think God made newborn babies and that smell to get us through the crying and the chaos because it's like this picture of perfection. All of our hopes and dreams of who this baby could be is all wrapped up in this tiny newborn with this perfect and precious smell. Um, and what's interesting, um, and you guys are probably way more whole and healthy than I am, but what I realized with my sons is they, and my daughters, they grew up, I kind of unintentionally trying to mold and shape them into the best version of myself, right? Like, I have this way that I want to be, and I want my kids to be that. And of course, I know I can't live into that. So what I do is I make my kids live into that. And I kind of lay down these rules and, uh, and teach them manners. And I want them to kind of be these certain people. And, um, and what's interesting is uh, already at eight and five, they are fully becoming their own people. I have tried so hard to teach my boy to be big and strong like me. And he's soft and tender like, his, like my wife, which is great. But I don't know how to relate to that. I don't know how to relate to a boy that's soft and tender. So I'm like trying to like, you know, punch him and throw him off trees, make sure he's tough. And my wife's like, what are you doing? And um, so I'm trying to raise them, though, to be this version of myself. And, um, and so and I think we all do that. We set up rules. We think, what do I want our kids to be? And uh, as our kids get older, as they grow up, um, we realize there's less and less that we can control. And what's interesting is, like, me and uh, my, our, our little peer group, we all have little kids, and we have gazillions of rules. We have rules for every moment of every time, minute, you know, bedtime, snack time, what they can eat, what they can't eat, the whole deal. And uh, I've been working with students for the last 16 or 17 years now, and... Um, I'm not going to lie, before I had kids, I really judged the parents of teenagers. I was like, you guys are idiots. All you have to do is this, and your kids will be just fine. But now that my kids are starting to get a little bit uh, older and have some strong wills of their own, I realize, oh, these poor parents of teenagers, it's so awful for them. But what I've realized is all of the rules that we started out with little kids, by the time the teenager comes along, there's three rules. These are almost universal among all teenage parents. Right? Your three rules are don't sleep around too much, Try not to use drugs and get enough, uh, get enough education. Try to, get a, you know, try to do your grades well enough so you can go to college. That's it. Everything else I kind of fades by the wayside, but those are the last three anxieties that parents hold on to all the way at the end. And the bummer is 
whether they're ready for it or not, at 18 or 19, right, the kid's out the door. They go off to college, and all the rules, all the things that you tried to train them to be, now it's totally up to them. They can do whatever they want, which they've been doing for years anyway. You just, now you can't see any of it. And it causes all of this anxiety and chaos in us. And as I've been working with students, as I've been reading and trying to understand um, ch- children, um, children and childhood development and my own parenting, I've come across this uh, reality, which is, on one hand, really good news, but I think is completely terrifying on the other. And that is that your kids and my kids, by the time they reach adulthood, are, for the most part, going to share your values and your character. Now, the bummer is not your verbal or spoken values or character, your true, internal, realized character. That's who your kids are going to model. When they finally become adults and they land in their late 20s and 30s, like, oh, we're adults. Your values, your character, your faith is actually going to be um, lived out in your kids. And, um, and the hard thing is, is you can't do rules to get them there. Rules are just the beginning, the, the beginning part of shaping their character. But it's the faith, it's your faith, it's your actual relationship with Jesus Christ. The way that you pursue him, the way that you run after him, is are, are what's gonna, your kids are going to pick up. And I don't know about you guys, I mean, you have a much better church than the people at my church, I'm sure. But at our church, um, we've, we struggle with having this really limited version of Christianity. Like, we love Jesus, and we're mostly good people. And for the most part, that works for good people, you know. We wear sweaters and shirts, and we... We come, we're good people, and we love Jesus. Um, but being good people who love Jesus is not enough to do and be the people that God has for us, and it's for sure not enough to transfer our faith uh, to our kids. And this passage that we're going to look at this morning uh, comes out of Colossians chapter 2 uh, in the beginning of chapter 3. So if you'd pray with me, and we'll, we'll hop into to God's word here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way that you loved us and that you've called us to be your kids. And as we become adults and we parent our own kids and we think we have it all together, God, I pray that we would remember that we are your kids, that we would come to you in an attitude of humility and teachability and ask that your word would mold us and shape us. And God, as you, uh, as you prick us and nudge us and convict us and encourage us, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would use all of that to continue to draw us closer to your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 23 says this, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Chapter 3 goes on to say, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, for me, I, uh, I love rules. In fact, um, I have a rule of life, and a rule of life says, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And the whole deal is, if I have a rule of life, if I have rules in my life, then I'm going to discipline myself and my body and my soul so that I can be all that God has for me. And this passage in Colossians, it, it says right in the beginning, um, there's these regulations and deeds with the appearance of wisdom and their self-imposed worship and their false humility. And, and basically, there are these Christians, 
And they had this very disciplined life. They did, on the exterior, they did all the right things. They were good people. They read their Bibles. They memorized their Bibles. They gave alms to the poor. You know, they did all these things. They went to worship. They had Sunday night worship and Wednesday night worship, and they did it all. And uh, what's interesting is when we have all these rules, um, it says that none of these rules are any help in curbing our sensual indulgences. They are zero help in conquering our evil desires. And uh, for my sabbatical, I've, this, part of my discipline to be a good Christian man, I was going to read Colossians every day, the whole book. And uh, after, the first few, after the first week, you know, I, I actually started, maybe I should pay attention to what I'm reading. And so I started reading a little slower. And I kept, this passage kept coming up against me because I pride myself in being disciplined. I want to be disciplined. I want to be this man of God. And, uh, and yet I keep coming across this passage that says, all of these disciplines, all of these rules, they actually don't help in curbing the heart. The inner being, the inner part of who we are, all these rules actually don't tame that. And uh, I was really disheartened um, because that's, that's what I like. I like these rules. And so the question is, how in the world do we get our heart in line with God's heart? If it's not rules, if it's not just um, reading scripture and giving money and showing up at worship and not swearing too much and, you know, and uh, you know, raising our hands in Sunday school or whatever, if it's not just those things, what are we supposed to do to tame our heart? And the rest of our time together, we're just going to kind of meander our way through uh, Colossians chapter 3, because Paul, I think, outlines a very simple um, way in which our heart can be aligned with God's. It's simple, of course, like all things in Scripture. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, the trick of then, of course, is going to be putting it into practice, which I'm still wrestling with, and you'll probably do it easier than me. But this has been what God's been doing to me over this, my sabbatical so far. So how in the world are we supposed to get our heart in line? Chapter 3 starts out like this. So since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts and minds on things above. Almost all over scripture, the way it always begins is remember who you are. If you remember in Hebrews, it talks about all the, 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 the kings of faith, and it says, therefore, you know, live your life this way. It all begins with setting our minds on things above, getting our head around who we are in Christ, who our identity is in Christ. In Sunday school, uh, I crashed with, uh, with you guys today. They were talking about their name and your identity and, uh, and what that means about who you are. And if we're going to go anywhere in our walk with God, if we have any sort of vibrant faith, especially a vibrant faith that we can pass on to our kids, it starts and ends with understanding who we are in Christ, understanding that God is our Heavenly Father, understanding that we are His precious kids. Um, you know, there's, there's whole passages of Scripture that talk about our identity, but when we get our head around that, everything changes. Um, when I was in uh, high school and college, um, I always wanted to date. I, always, I liked the ladies a lot, but I, I know one taught me about hygiene, so that was kind of a struggle for me. Um, but I wanted to date so bad and uh, you go to these dances, and uh, you go, how do I behave? How do I interact? And maybe this next slow song will be the thing that'll spark, you know, the deal. And, uh, and it got to a point where I remember realizing in college, uh, I was a part of this Christian fraternity, and Christians in college, you know, the deal is you got to get married right away. And uh, so there's this pressure uh, for, for young Christian kids in college and Christian community to get married right away. And so all my buddies were getting married, and I remember being 19. I went to a, my, my friend's wedding, and it's like... Um, and they start the dance, the dancing at the wedding. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, here I am with all these great Christians, and they're all, we're all young and hip and beautiful. Well, I wasn't, but I like to see myself that way. And everyone's dancing, and all of a sudden the slow song comes on, and I felt this anxiety inside of me of like, oh, I, like 
I need to find that person. And there was this girl there, of course, that I had a crush on. So I'm like, I need to find that girl and ask her to dance. And we're going to dance and we're going to have this moment and it's all going to work out for me. And what's so funny is, of course, I did and I went to the bathroom because I was too embarrassed or shy. And, you know, that's a whole different story of how that all worked out. But I remember, like, that was like this rhythm. Every high school dance, every wedding, every context you walked in, it was like, all right, I'm supposed to kind of try to meet that girl and make it happen. And, uh, you know, I had all this acne, and no, no one helped me with that, which I'm still talking to my mom about. But, um, but I remember um, after I got married, and I would go to a friend of mine's wedding, it was such a different experience. Before, when I was 19 and 20, and I would go to this wedding, the person getting married, it didn't matter. It was about the free food and the dancing and potentially finding that girl that I could make out with, right? That was like my dream. And now, as a married person, when I go to a wedding, it's like, oh, I'm at a wedding. I'm with my wife. They're going, like, I, I, the people are getting married. I love them, and I'm celebrating with them. You know, the pastor reads the vows, and I sit next, and I squeeze my wife's hand, and we go, those are our vows. And then, then all of a sudden, the part that caused all the anxiety, the dancing, oh, who cares? I'm married. I'm going to go home and be with my wife. We're going to make out a ton, and it's going to be great. And I have no dance moves, you know? Sorry. But you know what I mean? I, but like, I don't need to put on any moves. I don't need to dance at all because I am a married man with an awesome wife, and I can dance like an idiot, right? All of that anxiety is totally different because before, I was this insecure young guy trying to be somebody that I wasn't quite yet. But now, as a married man, I'm settled, right? I don't, whenever I go to a, you know, I go out with some friends out to dinner or I go to a dance or, you know, there's some sort of, I don't freak out because I know who I am and I'm, I know who I'm with. And our identity shapes all of those things. It settles us. When we realize we are God's and he is ours, he is our God, we are his people, everything else kind of fits into place. We don't need to then go, oh, I, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be successful? Am I going to have enough money? Am I going to be famous? Am, like, who am I, that special person, are they going to be mine? Right? I am God's first, and God then whittles down those choices. So the very first thing that we have to get our head around is that we start right at the beginning, that we set our hearts on things above. And then when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And, um, and so for me, I love, I could spend all day on, man, my identity in Christ. Because the next part, the next two things are the hard part. I mean, they're all hard. But going, okay, I'm God's and he's mine, that's great. But the next part is how then am I, is my life supposed to be? We talked with the kids about having rules. We set up rules and regulations to kind of say this is the way in which we live. But the mature Christian life isn't about these rules and regulations. The true Christian life is about the Holy Spirit inside of us being united with the Holy Spirit, with God, with the living God, and living in harmony and unity with him. And so the way we do that is we have a life that's free from sin and is moving more and more towards the character of Christ. And Paul goes on to say, right in verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So once you get, oh, I am God's, he is mine, and my identity and character is no longer my own, but is becoming more and more like the living God, like the holy God, well, then how do I move there? Well, we, we move there by putting to death Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all of these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. What I think is interesting is, in our context, we really don't have rules like, there's no, like, back in uh, Jesus' day, there was actual real rules that they had to follow. But now our rules are 
just be good people. Just don't say anything too on PC around people that you don't know. And other than that, like, we get along. I mean, I, I drove above the speed limit the whole way here because I didn't want to be late. Right? What's the speed limit? It's, you know, everyone else is doing it, right? We have, we have like, loose rules. We don't have, like, real rules. And uh, the deal with, the, with the, the Christian life, what's actually, I think, helpful for our context text is we, since we don't need to be these good people with these fake rules, we don't have rules, we actually are free now to just go, okay, God, how then do we figure out what is going on inside of us? Now, back in Jesus' day, they had real rules that people would break and then they'd have to make atonement for and fix. In our day, we don't have real rules. So what we get to do is we have to begin to develop our spiritual nature. Now, for me, I grew up Presbyterian, and I like standing up and sitting down, reading my hymns, reading written prayers, and uh, that that warms my heart. So this idea of getting in touch with, like, my spiritual life and my inner self is really new to me, and it's taken a lot of hard work to kind of get a hold of. But if I want a faith that I can actually pass on to my kids, it's a faith that God is moving and alive and transforming me. And so what we need to do is we have to realize what is going on inside of me that I need to put to death. And I know I can look at you. You're very handsome and beautiful people. And I cannot even think of one thing that you'd have that needs to be put to death because you've all put on a very good version of yourself to come to church. Me too. You don't have any idea how I screamed at my kids last night, right? Because here I am. I look like Hans Eric. So it's all good. (laughs) But the deal is if we want to move towards Christ, we have to go put to death whatever is of my flesh in me. And I love it. King David has, uh, in Psalm 139, at the end of, which is a great psalm. The whole psalm is this identity psalm. You made me, you formed me, you shaped me, you've crafted me. But the very end of the psalm says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I think for many of us, we want the good Christian life. We want all the blessings, all the goodness. I'm God, I'm yours, let's go for it. But there's this middle part of the hard work of putting to death our fleshly selves, our rage and our sexual immorality and our angst and our malice and our greed and our materialism and our wanting to be famous. Whatever our thing is, we have to put all that stuff to death. And the way we do it is this spiritual practice um, called this, uh, well, there's many ways to do it, but there's this one called the spiritual discipline of examine. It's basically at the end of the day, you lie in bed and you think this psalm, Psalm 139, God, search me. God, test me. God, know me. Reveal any anxious way in me. And then lead me into the path of everlasting life. And what's the strange thing is whenever we're actually quiet for more than a second and we say, God, search me. God, test me. God, reveal any anxious thing inside of me. All of a sudden, these things are going to start bubbling up. Right? Already, even now, as I'm nervous and anxious, trying to stand in front of you, I'm still thinking, oh my goodness, there's some things I need to take care of with my wife and my kids and my mom when I get home. Right? That's just in one second thinking about it because all of that stuff is right there in me. And if we're going to grow and we're going to mature, we need to be people who are willing to own our garbage, who are willing to be humble and uh, transparent. Um, Since I've been on sabbatical, I've been with my kids way too much. Um, There's a reason why dads go off to work and why men went off to war back in the good old days, right? Like, we just cannot be at home too much. At least this is me. And so I thought I'm going to be with my kids all the time. And what I found is I'm a great dad for about an hour and a half every day. I can do that. But four to five hours every day, 
I can't pull it off. And so I started, I've, I found myself having this really short fuse all the time with them. And, uh, but I'm trying to model, I'm trying to model that I'm not a whole person, that God's transforming me. And so I sit down with my kids and I say, okay, hey, Noah, listen, I so want to be with you. And you know that I get frustrated and I have a, I have a quick temper and I, I need you to forgive me. And actually, I want you to help me um, and remind me of these things. So when I start like getting all hopped up and, and get short with you, you know, I, I'm giving you permission to say, hey, Dad, I don't like your tone right now. And, I'm, and I thought I was going to have this great moment. Like, here I am teaching my son. Like, I'm not perfect, and I need his forgiveness, and I'm growing as a human. Even as an adult, I'm still growing. And then, like, 10 seconds later, of course, I flipped, uh, you know, I flipped off. I didn't flip off him, you know. But I flipped up, uh, and I yelled at him, or I got short with him. And, and then my daughter goes, Dad, I don't really like your, your tone right now. Which, immediately, I'm like, Whoa! I'm like, okay, i got to walk away. So it, didn't, it doesn't work perfectly all the time, but I know that I am in transition, I am in process, and I'm continually trying to die to my flesh, and I need to model that to my kids, I need to model that to my wife, I need to model that to my church, to my students, right? That we are people who are continually dying to our flesh. So when we get, oh God, I am yours and you are mine, my identity is wrapped and being formed by you, and then we can begin to die to ourselves. And we can die to our flesh and all that gross stuff that's with us. We can figure out what that is and we can die to it. We can kill it. Then there's this space for the Holy Spirit to have at it with us, to move us, to shape us. And we can actually hear from him and we can go where he calls us. And, he, and uh, Paul uh, finishes this part in uh, Colossians chapter 3 with this. So after we put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, put on this special clothing, this good clothing, we always want to put on the good clothing first. But the good clothing is the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, right, says that I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he's going to bear much fruit. And apart from me, he can do nothing. And it goes on to talk about how the good uh, vine dresser, you know, prunes off all the stuff that is, doesn't serve any purpose, right? We die to those things and then the Holy Spirit grows this stuff in us. We put on these, this special clothing of Christ, compassion and goodness, um, and it's fruit. It's, this, it's, it's a process, right? An orange doesn't sit around and go, oh, I really want to be an orange. An orange is an orange because it's connected to the tree, right? An apple doesn't go, oh, I want to be an apple. It just becomes an apple because it's connected to the tree. And the fruit of the Spirit happens when we're connected to the Holy Spirit. When we get who we are, when we prune away our flesh, then there's space for the Holy Spirit to mold us and to shape us. And um, for me, what I found is it takes actually effort and practice and time to try on the clothes of Christ. And I don't do it well, and I have to learn, this is what it looks like to put on love. This is what it looks like to put on grace. Uh, I spend some time with my dad. My dad and I have a really weird, kind of sketchy relationship. And I'm trying, my whole adult life has been trying to figure out how to have a better relationship with him. And this last uh, Christmas, we were all together. And on the drive there, my wife and I are like, hey, you know what? Let us lead the conversation. Let us lead the dynamic in our family. Instead of waiting for my dad and his weirdness to do it, we're going to do it. So we're going to put on love, and we're going to love him. And we came up with this whole strategy. So here I am at 38 years old, finally figuring out how to relate to my dad in a way that causes peace and harmony, 
right? I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been trying to do this for a long time. It's this continual process that we continually work out and go for. And it's the same way with dressing, right? I mean, you look at me, I look like Hans Eric. But my wife dressed me. Left to my own devices, I, it's awful. It is so gnarly, my fashion choices. And the worst is my son, he's picked up on that. Like, he wears the worst clothing ever. I don't know what matching is. I don't know what any of those things are. Um, when I, I remember when I was first a youth pastor, and I'm a youth pastor, right? And in my heart, and even though I, I come off as an adult sort of a little bit with you guys, in my heart of hearts, I'm a youth pastor. I hang with students. I love wearing jeans and T-shirts and playing Frisbee and video games and talking with kids with all their chaos. But this uh, really big and powerful and wealthy family in our church wanted to bless my wife and I. And so they said, hey, will you come to this fundraiser? And I said, sure. It's, uh, it's for, I don't even remember what it's for, some big important thing. But it was at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. Now, please, I go to Chuck E. Cheese and I go to McDonald's. Like, that's my office, you know? So the Olympic Club in San Francisco, I didn't know what that was. And I almost wore jeans and a polo shirt. But thankfully, I'm like, you know what? This is pretty nice. These people are pretty nice. So I'm going to wear my big boy clothes. And so I put on these khakis and a polo shirt. And, uh, and I walk into the Olympic Club, and all of a sudden, the Olympic Club... There's, a, there's like a dress code. You have to have a coat and tie. It's a coat and tie is the requirement. And I felt so foolish and so out of place because here I am dressed like a punk college kid, even though I'm a full adult. But I looked so foolish because there was this dress code. There was this way that you're supposed to dress, this way that was beautiful and reverent and important for the, the context that we found ourselves in. And I had no idea what that looked like. And my concern for me and for my kids and for our church not for you, Hans-Eric probably has this concern for you, but is that we don't realize what the dress code is. That God has called us to this high calling to wear the actual clothing of Christ, to be wrapped up in love and joy and peace, kindness, compassion, grace, mercy, justice. Those are our clothes. That's what the big boys and big girls wear around the family table of God. But we go, I have khakis. I'm good. I have a polo shirt from Old Navy from a year ago that's all shrunk because the clothes are so cheap, but I'm good. Those are my issues, not yours, you know? Um, And we think that that's just fine. But the problem is our kids are going to figure out, oh, so I guess it's khaki pants and polo shirts is what maturity looks like, so that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to figure out my own way. And what they end up picking up is who we really are, are, what our faith really is. And at least for me and my family, what we're wrestling with and we're getting after with all of who we are is we want to put on the big boy, the big girl clothes. We want to be dressed in the clothing of Christ. And if our kids choose to rebel and do their own thing, well, then that's going to be them and they're going to work that out with God. But at least we have modeled what it means to be people who are human, who screw up, who are full of chaos, and yet God is redeeming and transforming and using them for his kingdom and for his purposes. And that's my prayer for you as well, that you would realize that you are so valued in Christ, that he is our God. You are his people. You are his co-laborers in Christ. God has something so big and important for you right here in this time and this moment. But we're only going to live into that if we put to death our fleshly desires and we actually put on the clothing of Christ. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue on in worship. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, thank you so much for being so patient with me, and maybe for some of my friends in this room. For you simply want us to be moving towards you. And as we move towards you, you'll continue to reveal 
the areas in our life that we need to hand over and die. And God, I pray if we haven't thought about that in a long time, that you would just reveal whole new areas, whole new parts of our flesh that we need to hand over to you so that you can help us put those to death. And God, I pray that we would just lean into the big boy and big girl clothes that you have for us, that we would continually try to practice putting on the clothing of Christ so that we truly can be your fragrance here in this context and in your world. Amen. Amen.